everyone. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Double Date with Dateline. Hey, everybody. It's Katie here with a really quick morning announcement. It's the month of July, which means it's the month of Kimberly's birthday. That's right. It's a Kim birthday. So because she doesn't always listen to the episodes, and I have a very hard time surprising her because she is on all of our social media accounts, I thought I could pop in here really quick and ask, once you hear this episode, send her a Kim birthday, happy, well-wishing message on either Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, send her a funny meme, just a quick note of love, a happy birthday, a picture of your pet. All of these things Kimberly would love. So thank you so much and a very happy Kim birthday to us all. Thanks, everybody. We're back. Guess who's back? Blood Relatives is back. (laughs) Back you again. Did you miss it? Blood Relatives back. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Did you miss it? I missed it. And like one person told me they missed it, too. Just one. Not as many as I was hoping for, but it's okay. We do it for us. It's fine. I was going to say, is this for us? Yeah. Like, is this okay? Yeah. Because we're on the path. We can't. No, we can't slow down. That's what they want us to do. They want us to get bored and to stop investigating and discovering where Ethan, the intern, that's not his name, Chad, is being held captive somewhere. And we're getting close. And I'm expecting them to pull the show off the website and we're going to have to find it on the dark web. And I'll do it for Chad. That's your storyline. I'm not invested in Chad the intern. I am invested in finding out if they're all interconnected. That's my main interest here. The kidnappers are playing that message to Chad right now. And he's like, they don't care. They've given up. I still care, Chad. I don't buy it. So we're back with Blood Relatives. This is season four, episode 12, No Bones About It. We've done this. We've covered this case for Patreon. It's our Dateline episode on Queen of the County. Is that an old, is it a vintage Dateline? Yes, it is. I don't want to say old. Okay. Yeah, classic. Okay. So hopefully Kimberly can interject with some items from Queen of the County because I don't, I'm not going to say, I don't remember. I don't remember. It was only like a few months ago. I remember bits and pieces. I know that there was stuff left out of this episode that I watched. Yeah. No bones about it. One major part of this that they did not cover on Dateline and I was shook it. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I screamed out loud. What? (gasps) Oh. I sounded like Joni. What? What part? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so I'm going to be surprised too. I'm so excited. Okay. Mm, I'm excited. So we open up. We're in... And by the way, join our Patreon if you'd like to hear our coverage of Queen of the County. See, I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. We open in Harkeyville, which is deep in the heart of Texas. Deep in the heart of Texas. Exactly. So accents are coming. We're, We're here. Everybody knows everybody. There is a lot of farm country. There are orchards. And we learn that the battle coming is over the tastiest nut you can buy, pecans. Did they say that or are you saying that? That's what they said. Brenda said that. Yeah, that's personal opinion, I have to say. I would say maybe it's the sweetest nut. I don't know. Pecan? I like pecans a lot. 
Now we're going to start that whole thing of how you say it. It's going to be a whole thing. I was trying to state it firmly. That's why I said pecan like that, because for this episode, we're going to say pecan. Okay. I'm just. Yeah. Forget the rest of it. Also, um, pecan is my favorite in the Costco mixed nut pack. You can buy the jar, the square jar of mixed nuts. Pecans are the ones that I pick out and leave the rest and I get in trouble. I hate those mixes. (laughs) You do? I only like the peanuts. There's no peanuts in that one. Well, then I really don't like it. Oh, see, we'd be a great mixed nut pair because I want everything but the peanut. Yeah. Get that peanut away from my face. P.S. Mixed Nuts is one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, just stop this episode. Go watch it. You can come back to this later. We'll be here. Okay. So we get a really, really quick short segment in our intro of the flashes of what's to come. And we see what might become our animal for this episode. Mm -hmm. Well, at least what I thought at the time, Mm -hmm. which is a furry little rat. I'm into it. I know you might not be into it, but you have feelings? No, I missed it. And I'm glad I did because I I thought it was something else. Well, we don't see it again. So we see we see it once at the end. Oh, yeah. We see it one time. There you go. This episode is really confusing by way of symbols. Anyways, we see a rat. Just mark it in your notes and move on. Okay. So around these parts, one family's name rings out from the steeples and we're shown as church. Church plays no part in this episode. I thought it might, so I wrote it down. It doesn't. Neither. They just showed the church so she could say the line steeples. Yeah, so we're in one of those kind of episodes where Brenda's going to make it fit. Caught a few of them. So remember, we are in the town of Harkyville, and indeed, the town is named for the Harky family and their mm-hmm. pecan fortune. We first see our matriarch, Bonnie Harkey, sitting at her vanity table, putting on makeup. Now, she does not, to me, appear to be like a Deborah Tipton kind of Southern Belle, right? Well, first of all, the actress they've cast is a good 20 years younger than the one in the Dateline. Let's be clear. Every single actor in this story is is 20, 20 to 40 years, years younger. younger than the actual people. And yeah. the age actually plays a part in her story. And it doesn't, they never really go into that so that it fits the actress of their choosing. But she's supposed to be way older. I did like this actress though. Oh yeah, she was fine. She, is she in like her 80s? She is 100% like 60. No, no, no. I'm sorry that she's supposed to be in her 80s, right? Like late 80s. Yeah. Okay. Suffering from dementia. Instead, they have a spry 60 year old sassy lady Mm -hmm. who looks beautiful and like is doing her hair. She looks all soft and nice. She's not like this kind of wealthy landowner that's like a society. She doesn't seem like that. She seems a little more Texas country glam. She doesn't have the sort of high Dolly Parton hair. She doesn't have like the big diamond rings on sort of easy, natural beauty, would you say? Yes, but then they say she doesn't lord over anybody. But then they show her trying on a sash and a crown. Well, I hadn't gotten there yet. Yes, but that is correct. What I was going to say is that she has sort of the ease and natural beauty that's hard to attain, but a lot easier if you're using Thrive. Oh, yeah, that's true. I'm doing it early. So for those of you who have been hiding under a rock or under a pecan tree, Thrive Cosmetics makes high-performance, vegan, 100% cruelty-free products without the use of parabens, sulfates, or phthalates. 
Yes. We stand behind their Bigger Than Beauty mission, and we think everybody should give Thrive Cosmetics a try. Let me tell you why. They're made with clean, high-performance, skin-loving ingredients. Their clinically proven formulas not only highlight your best features, but they actually improve your skin over time the more you use them. Also, Thrive Cosmetics never tests on animals. They're Leaping Bunny and PETA certified as 100% vegan and cruelty-free. What am I doing right now, Katie? Are you putting on your lip balm? I might be putting on my Thrive lip balm. Your Thrive liquid bulb treatment, which is amazing. Feels so silky and smooth. I'm not big on lip balms, but I am big on the Thrive liquid balm lip treatment because it's got properties that plump your lips, not like a lip plumper that stings your lips. Right. It fills in the lines on your lips. Mm -hmm. And I sort of don't buy that kind of technology until I tried the Thrive one. Yeah, you were skeptical. It does what it says. I love it. How young do my lips look now? Soft and supple? Soft and supple. I wish I could whistle through my teeth. I can't. (laughs) I'm also in love with their Bright Balance 3-in-1 cleanser. It is my go-to daily cleanser. It leaves my skin feeling so fresh, also supple. I really wish I could whistle. (laughs) And it doesn't leave you with that dry, stripped feeling that's really not good with aging skin, not good with any skin, but specifically, I don't want my skin to feel dry after I've washed it. Mm -hmm. I also love their Brilliant Eye Brightener, which is a cream to powder highlighter that brightens and opens your eye when you pop it in the inner corner, or you can use it as an all over eyeshadow look, or you can use it as a bridge of the nose highlighter or a cheekbone highlighter. Bridge of the nose? Are you supposed to put a highlighter there? Sorry, tip of the nose, not bridge of the nose. Right here. Oh, okay. On the tip. You just brighten it a little bit. I'm so confused because I've actually, okay. Not between. Do not put highlighter between your eyeballs. Just because that's what I'm going to do now. No, don't do that. I'm so sorry. You have to be so careful with your words with me (laughs) because I'm going to do that and I'm going to look ridiculous. You're not. We're going to do a step by step with Thrive and I'm going to I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. Anyways, the brilliant eye brightener is truly what it says. Brilliant. And of course, last but certainly not least, the liquid lash extensions mascara, Mm -hmm. which my mother cannot be without. It's her desert island her anytime, (laughs) all the time mascara that she loves. It is Thrive's award-winning mascara that is dermatologist tested, ophthalmologist tested, and approved. And it is a mascara that looks incredibly like lash lengthening, but is also gentle enough for sensitive eyes and safe for contact lens wearers. If you're looking to try a new mascara, please give this a try. There's no reason not to. Yeah, someone wrote me, Lori, Mm-hmm. Side note for Katie, I got the Thrive Mascara and it is the best mascara ever. Yeah. I literally just bought three tubes to give to my friends. I feel like Oprah. <laughs> you are mascara. Seriously. <laughs> Liquid lash extensions. She said also taking it off is just as much fun. It falls off when you get it wet. Very satisfying. The tubes. The tubing technology. I've been talking. I've been talking about it till I'm blue in the face. Lori gets it. Lori, I knew it. I knew you just got to try it. It's it's a really special mascara. The other thing that is so cool about Thrive, besides the fact that their products are just incredible, is that they have a bigger than beauty mission. Their commitment to support nonprofit partners with a donation of funds or products is truly unique and inspiring. Here are a few of the causes and communities they gave back to in 2020. First responders, women experiencing homelessness, women fighting cancer, families facing food insecurity, racial justice advocacy. So this is really a beauty brand that goes far beyond being just skin deep. 
they really have a mission uh, that's well beyond what you look like on the outside. Helps you feel good on the inside. I love that. So I love everything about Thrive Cosmetics. Their products are some of the best I've ever used. And again, their Bigger Than Beauty mission is truly inspiring. We know you're going to love them as much as we do. So visit thrivecosmetics.com slash date dateline for 15% off your first order. That's 15% off your first order. Go try that mascara and the liquid lift treatment and try the brilliant eye brightener. Just try everything. Just try it. You can't go wrong with Thrive. Visit thrive.com slash date dateline 15% off. This is an exclusive offer you can only get here. That's Thrive, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S. Get it? Cause medics. It's a good cause. Because they've got a cause. Yeah dot com slash date dateline for 15% off your first order. Start thriving. Yeah, start thriving today. Thrive alive. Alive to thrive. Not just alive. Thrive thing. No. <laughs> Not just aliving, thriving. Sure. There we go. There we yeah. go. Thank you so much, Thrive. Thank you. Give them a try, guys. All right, back to Bonnie. Okay, Bonnie's sitting there putting on her stuff. And as Kimberly mentioned, well, before we get to her sash moment, which is, it reveals quite a lot. So we learn a little bit about Bonnie Harkey's history. She is a Harkey by marriage. She's not the blood Harkey. She married into this Harkey pecan fortune. Her husband, Riley, had two sons when they entered the marriage, and she had a daughter of her own. So they were a blended family. When Riley died, Bonnie inherited the farms and the property. Riley's will stated that Bonnie could live on the property as long as she was alive and that when she died, the property would move to the boys, to his sons, and then her daughter would also get a little money. It doesn't sound like she would get property. They don't specify what she's getting, but yeah. Yeah. So when we first did this episode for Patreon, I kind of understood what was going on, but I really let Kimberly explain it to me. Yeah, it's a very twisted Brady Bunch style. It is. Multi-generational blended family, except where everyone's trying to kill each other. Kind of. And so this is where I got really, I was happy that I was able, that they condensed it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like a lot of people in this episode. Not so smart. We'll see. (laughs) So Bonnie's, it was Bonnie's job to try to keep the job profitable. So she finishes her makeup in her vanity. We see her putting on this turquoise sash that reads pecan queen in like glittery letters. And then in comes her daughter, Connie. Connie is holding a crown. But why? So now Connie is wearing a matching sort of turquoise wrap and a dress. And at this point, I'm like, "Mm, I have a feeling turquoise is our color this episode. And also Bonnie is wearing turquoise earrings. Sorry, just also Bonnie and Connie. Bonnie and Connie. Okay. Carla and Carlene. Some people do mother-daughter names like that. Do they? Yeah, they do. You should watch that show, Smothered. I can't. I can't do it. Okay, I might do that. It's like makes your stomach kind of sick. Oh, gosh. Oh, boy. So Brenda tells us that as she's putting on this crown in the mirror with her daughter, Connie, they're having this heartwarming moment. Brenda tells us that Connie insists her family is her real crown in glory. Then why is she trying on her... What was this just for fun? I don't understand. And then they're talking about how she's trying to make the farm profitable. Yeah. By by trying on her sash and living. Also, when was she Miss Text Miss P 
pecan. Is that how she met the guy? Because she was in his pageant, maybe? Did she used to be in a parade? Maybe. Like waving? Like the harky? Like maybe they had a 4th of July parade or something? Pecan queen. I think so. And then your whole dress is covered with nuts. And it's very heavy. It's not a good look. Shellacked. Now we are at the apparently yearly family tradition, which is the sampling of the first year's crops. And at this point, the color is confirmed turquoise because we're at the eating scene because there's always an eating scene near the beginning that there's a bright turquoise tablecloth and there's this amazing spread of all these different kind of pecan tarts, pecan pie, all these like pecan treats on the table. And the family has gathered to try all the goodies and we're going to meet the rest of the family right now. So we meet Bonnie's stepsons, who are Riley's natural-born children, John and Bruce. And they are lounging on the steps of the house. What are they doing? They appear to be digging out, cleaning out the bottom of whatever's stuck in the bottom of their golf shoes. Their cleats, yeah. But regardless, he's using a tool to do it. Sure. Some sort of like switchblade or something to get in there really clean those out. Like, be real, these guys have someone do it for them. But he's doing it, and then he cuts himself. John, the hothead. And while he's doing this, it's the voiceover is telling us, I mean, he's being described as arrogant, hot-headed, difficult to deal with, and also that he's the more intelligent of the two brothers as he stabs himself <laughs> with this sharp object. So it just tells you that... If he's the intelligent one, don't give Bruce a fork. We're yeah, we're in trouble. He gets spoons only. Yeah. And he's so he's like kind of the older brother alpha dog. And Brenda tells us that he's basically just waiting for Bonnie to kick the bucket yeah. so that he can take over his fair share of what he feels is rightfully his. Which is how the will was written. It really was written to want this woman dead, basically. I'm sure, I don't know if there was a better way for Riley to write this will, but really it's setting everyone up to just be waiting for this woman to die. 100%. Yeah, Yeah. without a doubt. Good job, Riley. And now we see the second animal, which is (laughs) there is what appears to be a possum lurking under the steps. A little baby possum. Is it it a a baby? baby? I think it was a baby. It was really small. Here's the deal. I love slash hate possums. I mostly hate them, but I don't hate a baby possum. No, it was adorable. And so when I saw this one, I was like, that's not a full grown possum because I'm not fearful of that. No, it's it's a little babe. It's a little babe. And also I can see the tweets coming in right now about how we're mistaking a possum for an opossum. No, I know. I don't care. No, I'm going to call it a possum because it's harder to say a possum. I'm not, I just. Yeah. Forgive me. I do understand how that word is spelled and what it's supposed to be called. It's really a difficult word to say. So I'm making this easy on myself. It's pecans and possum. I love it. Okay, good. Yeah. New year, new skitter. She's got, (laughs) I got a whole new attitude. That possum's name was Skitter. What about scrambles? Oh, yeah, scrambles. And he could scramble around. And then you'd feed it scrambled eggs. I would put a bow tie on that baby. He's pretty cute. That possum needed a little bow tie. He did. He needed an accoutrement of some yeah, sort. I, I would paint that possum's nails he was, and put it in a stroller and walk it around town. 
And then he'd get big and you wouldn't love him anymore, though. Because he wouldn't be cute. Because then his tail gets all like scaly and, the, and then it's not as cute. And then the snout grows longer and yeah. then it looks like the thing from Beetlejuice. Yeah, it's not good. Okay, so anyways, now we find out about Bruce the younger brother, when really I wanted to see more of Scrambles, but yeah. that's okay. So Bruce the younger brother is just the straight up dumber brother. Yeah. Pretty much is what we're told. Um, both men, by the way, are in turquoise. So... Bruce is the doer. He's like the action man. You know, I missed the turquoise completely, by the way. It's, are you serious? Did not even. It it was, it got annoying to me. I didn't even notice. <laughs> At all? I was distracted by the possum. This might be why we're a good team. Because I did, it's like the first thing I noticed. I didn't even notice. And we haven't done blood relatives in a while and I forgot there was a color. And then I saw Connie walk in in that turquoise shawl and I was like, oh man, turquoise is the color, isn't it? Man, I totally missed it. So back to Bruce. Bruce, the not bright one, is he's the action man. So while John is the brains, he's the (laughs) the body. So he never stays in one job very long. He never settles down. He's, I wanted to say like he's discontented. That's not a word, but he's been married nine times. He's that guy. Nothing's good enough. He will never be satisfied. There we go. Perfect. Except he's also dumb. Yeah. I think he's just not smart enough to hold on to all those wives. I don't know if he's not smart. He also seems like maybe a guy that's had a ton of concussions. Yeah. Or it's like (laughs) not his fault that he's dumb. He's just made really... Yeah. No, he played high school football and it is caught up with him. Yeah. But like not only that, he he makes like dumb choices. So he keeps getting concussions. Yeah. So he's like permanently concussed. That's yeah. my thought. So Bruce somehow has through his jobs and travels across the United States has meandered his way back to Harkeyville and Bonnie felt bad for him and decided to hire him to manage the farm. Let's put a pin in that. A lot of questions about this. That's probably the dumbest decision she could have made. Yeah. And I don't know what it means. So we, we need to talk about that later. So then we have vroom, vroom, and a motorcycle pulls up and it's the Fonz. Hey, no, it's not. This who gets off the bike is somebody named Carl Presley. And this is Connie, Bonnie's daughter, Connie. It's her son. So Bonnie is his grandma. The music gets so cheesy 90s rock and roll. Did it? But like Huey Lewis rock and roll. When he drives up. Yeah, the heart of rock and roll is to beat it. And a word <laughs> exactly. I say, I believe it. And he pulls up in the motorcycle like the font. Heart of rock and roll. Oh, that's bad. Wow. Okay. Carl is described as maybe the rebel of the family, but also he's another dum-dum. But so is Bruce. Why is Carl the rebel? Like Bruce has had nine wives and a million jobs. And a million concussions. And a million concussions. <laughs> but he's not on a motorcycle. Two brain cells left and he is not the wild child, but Carl is because he rides a motorcycle. Because he has a bike. Yeah. And I also don't believe that Carl had a motorcycle. I don't. The real Carl? No. The real Carl, I don't believe, could have passed his driver's license test. So he's literally, again, described as not being the sharpest tool in the shed. So the family always looks out for him. And by the family, that's Bonnie. Bonnie kind of has a soft spot for Carl. He does odd jobs around the farm. Connie seems to really, really like him. And she kind of bails him out of whatever trouble he gets into. Again, why Bonnie? Yeah. She likes the underdog, maybe. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe she was an underdog herself. That's a good point. I don't know. 
But we know that Carl is bad news because as Carl is introduced to the scene, a pecan pie is cut and a piece is lifted out. And what's underneath? Blood. And this is not the food coloring kind of blood. This is like the legit Ben Nye stage blood. Which would make sense if it was like a cherry pie that you were cutting and then all the cherry stuff is at the bottom, except it's red liquid blood and it's a pecan pie. But that's, see, that's why it's effective because it's not supposed to be there. It's very effective. There you go. So Brendan then tells us that the Harkey family will soon be in for a very bitter harvest. And at this point, we get a very, very cute shot of scrambles on the grass. Scrambles. He's just sitting there. He's so cute. What is he doing? Uh, He wanted a piece of pie. Also, they're eating the pies with their hands. Like each of the, it cuts to like three of them close up with biting the pies. They're holding a piece of pecan pie in their hands. I didn't notice. Oh no. And taking a bite. Where are your forks? Because they're not allowed around sharp objects because they're all idiots. No props. So they're biting it with, with that's going to fall on the ground. No. And Scrambles is going to get a piece, which is why he's hanging around, which I don't blame him. But he shouldn't because I do not trust these guys to not like have a pistol. That's, yeah. I'm worried about Scrambles' safety. That's why he's hiding under the porch. No, they are hunters. We see that later. So they would be like, I killed that baby possum. Oh, and they'd brag. Connie would save it. Connie and Bonnie would say, wait a minute, though. Are they eating with their hands because props messed up (laughs) for real? Did they forget? I honestly think it's because, well, yeah, it's probably they didn't think ahead and say Mm -hmm. they shouldn't be allowed sharp objects. It's just there were no forks on the table. So they have all resorted to eating the pies like they were bars, bars, Bars. you know, like a, you know, a magic bar type thing. Why didn't they just eat the tarts? They had those little tarts. Unsure. Easy. Okay, that's a hand food. Okay. Maybe they were eating the tarts. Maybe that's what they were eating. I don't I didn't see this. I need to go back and watch. I want to see them eating. But they the were hand. just cutting the pie and lifting and serving the pie. Yeah, they were. Just into bare not even a napkin? No, I don't know if they had a plate or not. And then they just ate it with their hands. It was very strange. I need to know about this. Okay. The next scene we have is Brothers John and Bruce playing golf in shorts. So as one of them hits the ball into, I'm sorry, what's the hole called? Is it called something? The hole. It's just called the hole? Yeah. Sure. Let's go with that. We're going to say hole. Apologies. We don't know. Can you bing golf terms? I think it's just all the hole. Okay. All right. Sorry. It comes up later and it becomes important. So um, (laughs) really quick, there's a really quick shot of a beetle. Like coming out of the hole? Yeah. No, it was like a roach or something or black beetle. Yeah. So what's that? We just saw scrambles. I thought that was our creature of the week. I was very confused. And then we never see the beetle again. Never. But he's crawling out of the golf hole. There's a shot of him doing that. So was he just naturally there like in nature? And so they got a picture of him and they're like, we weren't supposed to have beetles this time, but let's put it in. We got this really good shot. Don't. Well, interestingly enough, there's another shot where there's a creature in it who is not Scrambles and he this creature does not get a close up. True. It's almost like a blink and you'd miss it. The camera's panning up and you barely see it. I don't think that was on purpose. I think that creature just happened to be in front of the house when they were filming and they were like, let's go with it. But here's the deal. When you put those creatures in, they didn't expect people like you and me. 
to be right. digging into the symbolic, right. the symbology of these episodes. So here we are. Yeah. Okay. So we see our little beetle friend out of nowhere. Oh, it's a, called the hole or the cup. Oh, the cup. That's it. Oh, I don't have my pen. Okay. Darn it. I can't write it down. Okay. I'm going to try to remember the cup. So the, the two Harky sons apparently have a work ethic problem, we're told. All they do is play golf all day long. Neither of them work real jobs. So while they're on the green, that's a golf term. That's a golf term. Mm-hmm. Three women in turquoise approach them. This is Bonnie, daughter Connie, and Karen Johnson. Who's Karen Johnson, you ask? Let's add another person to the mix that we have to keep track of. Yeah, Karen Johnson is Connie's new assistant, and she is wearing wedges on the green. And she doesn't need to wear wedges because... In the dateline, I think she was 50. She definitely is. But here's the deal. This is a hot 27-year-old lady. She doesn't need to wear wedges because she's at least two feet taller than everyone in the scene. Why are you putting her in a heel? Because be tall. That's that's you projecting issues about your height. I say be tall, be proud. Thank you. I'm saying cameraman shot wise. (laughs) That's true. You have to. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They had to put those boys on an apple box. It also just makes her stand out. And I don't think that's. Karen Johnson's role in this. She's not like the girlfriend coming in to like stir things up. Right. I thought one of the boys was going to have a crush on her or try to get with her. But then I kept remembering in the dateline, they're all like 45 years older than these people. Yeah. You need to keep remembering that. I see where it could be confusing, but no. So Karen Johnson, Connie's new assistant is there and they hand over to the brothers a folder that basically tells them that Bonnie's getting up there in age, even though in this episode she doesn't look it. And she needs somebody's help running the farm. So here's where I got. Remember, I told you earlier to put a pin in the fact that Bruce was the farm manager. So Bruce, the farm manager, does not run the farm. It's unclear. Dang it. Really? You can't help me? I need a job breakdown. I need a job description and like a duties list. Is it just like a title? I think it was just a title because I don't think he really did anything. Yeah. Okay, that at least is something. Maybe it was like a general manager versus a assistant to the general manager. Oh my gosh. Maybe, okay, 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 okay. Maybe it's like a figurehead, like the queen. Yeah. And then the prime minister is actually in charge. And it's that sort of situation on a farm. Yeah. I don't think it's a real job, I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, I don't think. I think she did it to appease him because he was just got divorced for the ninth time. And to give him a little bit of a salary, maybe. Yeah. But he doesn't do much. Okay. So anyway, she needs real help running the farm. Mm -hmm. So Bonnie says that she is handing over the pecan queen crown to Princess Connie. And she is skipping the stepbrothers in the line of succession. Brothers are not, they're not getting anything. I mean, in the will, they still are. But right now, but right now, they're not going to get this like director of farm or whatever. This yeah. executive assistant to the director of farm. Yeah. Executive assistant of farm. Yeah, yeah. They don't get that job, but they seem to want it because I think they that person gets to make decisions regarding the farm. Uh huh. So Connie's going to run the farm. The boys are royally ticked, especially John. Bruce and John grab their clubs and they go home. And at this point, we get a shot of the golf hole which is where I got confused about if it's called a hole, the golf cup. And 
we see that it is bubbling with blood. Yeah. Okay. That, it was a little ham-handed. What? How dare you? <laughs> Nothing about this show is ham-handed. I don't think ham-handed is the saying. I think it's ham- ham-fisted. Let's just, let's put a pin in that too. Yeah. Okay. A few weeks after the decision to put Connie in charge, a 911 call is made and there is an emergency at Harkey Farms. Brenda tells us that paramedics do their best, but it's too late because one of the Harkey women has already bought the farm. <gasps> That's a little ham-fisted. Okay, also side note, the paramedics gloves that we see in this shot, even though we don't know who's died, are turquoise. <laughs> Just saying. Okay, so the woman found dead in the family home is not who you would think. You would probably think it's Bonnie. It's not. It's Connie. Connie, who's the new executive farm assistant farm person. It's very mysterious. Bonnie's daughter. Bonnie's daughter, Con. So there's no clear cause of death, though, right off the bat. I didn't remember this at all. Yeah, I don't know how much this is covered in the Dateline. I kind of forgot the daughter got killed. I think that we mention it in the Dateline because it's like, what happened to Connie? We hear about it for like two seconds and then it's gone. Right. Yeah. She plays a much bigger part in this, which I like because also I like the actress. She looks kind of like the girl from Brave. I've never seen Brave. Yeah. That's what I imagine her to look like. Mm -hmm. With the red hair. Yeah. Yeah. In her autopsy, it was discovered. So she's, I'm sorry, she's found like just on the ground in her house. There's no like bullet wounds that she just dies apparently of natural causes. Her autopsy said that showed that she had cancer, but it wasn't advanced enough that it would kill her. Like she would have no symptoms and then all of a sudden die. She basically went into organ failure and the doctors suspected that this was possibly foul play, that this was not something caused by her cancer that all of a sudden it caused her organs to fail. So we do have an autopsy reenactment at this point, and it's very specific. Like we see the doctor putting an unidentified organ into a bowl. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was a heart or a liver. Liver. That was my guess. Liver? Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Yeah, it might have been a liver. I think it, I think it was a liver. But apparently they don't, I don't know if they don't do a toxicology or if toxicology shows nothing, but it goes down as cases closed. It just goes down as yeah. she died of natural causes, but something smells fishy. I don't think that's right. Now, Bonnie is obviously very sad because her favorite daughter and her executive assistant farm farming person has died. And so she needs a new person to executively manage the dealings of the farm because Connie has mysteriously died. So Bruce, John, and sorry, it is Carl, right? Yeah. I may or may not have started writing Kyle towards the end of the episode. He for sure gives off strong Kyle energy. I appreciate that. Yeah. So Bruce, John, and Carl have been brought to the house to meet Bonnie's new friend, who is Daryl Spinks. Who we also get an interview from. Yes, we do. What do you have thoughts on Daryl Spinks? The first shot they show of him in the interview, he looks very startled. Yeah. Surprised to be there doing the interview for the show. Do you think that I could start a competitive company for Spanx that was not Spanx? Yeah. But like Spanx and called Spanx. Yeah, I like it. Okay, trademark. David Daylin. I like him. I did I did too. I like that he came on the show. So this attorney is Bonnie's, I guess, I don't know if he's longtime attorney, but he's her attorney now. And she actually hires him to handle the affairs of the day-to-day operations of the farm, which I think is the smartest move she could have made outside hire. 
Mr. Outside Hire. Yes. Yeah, she needs to trust no one that's in that family. Yeah. So John and Bruce are obviously extremely unhappy that they have been passed over again. And now for somebody who's not even in their family. Daryl Spinks said that he and John really clashed. And I think that's putting it lightly. I think he's being nice. I think that John really got in his face. So again, at this family meeting, the boys get up and leave. They leave in a huff. That's like their favorite thing to do. For some reason, they're all in camo at this meeting. And then we find out that they are on their way hunting before they stop by the house. Which I thought golf was their hobby of choice. But apparently it's also hunting. I thought golf was going to be a theme because we start off with the golf shoes. Then we see them on the golf. And then later we see them on golf. But hunting is also a favorite activity. Carl doesn't seem like a golfer. No, Carl does not. But he wants to be like his uncles. Yeah. Yeah. So he would like be their caddy, right? Carry their golf clubs and stuff. Yeah. If he's lucky. Yeah. Now we find out that in Bonnie's will, she's left her estate to Carl. Wow. So because now that Connie's passed away, right, everything goes to Connie's son. Right now, as it stands, every dime that the pecan farm is making goes to Bonnie. It's nothing goes to anyone else until she's gone. Right. So it's the property that the sons will get when she dies. Also, when she's gone, John, Bruce, and as well to some lesser extent, Carl will get profits from the pecan farm. Okay, it's very confusing. So they'll get both. They'll get, that's what I got from it. So John, being the smarter of the brothers, allegedly, and a wheeler and a dealer, tries to convince Carl to sell his orchard, the orchard that he owns currently, which I don't understand. His stake of it. Yeah. His percentage of the land. I'm so, I think, here's what I think is happening. I think that the land goes to Carl. I think that the boys, John and Bruce, get part of the profits of the land. But I think the land literally was going to go to Connie and now it's going to Carl. I think it's just a percentage. Okay, maybe so. It was hard to figure out. So regardless, I'll try to be clear. I'm not being very clear. No, the dateline was really confusing, too. I remember we didn't understand it. Okay, it's not that important. It's fine. It's not. So here's what you need to know. Carl owns a portion of this of the acreage of yep. the, that the pecan farm sits on. His portion is worth about three quarters of a million dollars. Yeah. This portion that he currently owns. And he's a bag of wieners. Kind of. Is he? How old is Carl? We don't know. He's like a full on bag of wieners. As an adult. He's in within range of bag of wieners age. Then he's a bag of sausage. Sure. Sausage bags. I, I, don't, I don't like that term at all sausage bags. No. So I feel like it works for an adult. I don't like that. Not a fan of that. Okay, sorry. You like cheese bags and not sausage bags? Yeah. Okay. Because I like cheese. There we go. So, but Carl isn't the brightest star in the sky. And so somehow he gets talked into selling his portion to Uncle John for $7,500. So he sold his share of the pecan farm for peanuts. There we go. That was my joke from Patreon. That was very good. You're welcome. You just got it for free, guys. It was very, very good. So his farm is worth, his portion is worth $750,000. He sold it for 7000 
$500. Yeah. Yeah, that seems about right. So my question is, did John just like move the like the decimal point, the comma over, like try to confuse him with the numbers Mm -hmm. like this is what it's worth, buddy. This is what it's worth. Mm -hmm. I'm giving you more than that. Because mm-hmm. then he also, with a promise and a wink and a handshake, promises that, oh, but I'm going to give you more each year. And Carl never learned math and he's super excited. Yeah, these are shenanigans. He's like, there's lots of zeros. It has to be good. It's really not right. It's literally, it's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's outrageous. Okay, so John needs Carl's acres really badly. He needs to make this deal because... <laughs> I guess that John has already made a deal with the neighbor who wants to buy the property. He wants to buy this chunk of acreage. And it seems like John has already made the deal. So he needs Carl to give it up. And Carl, of course, is one of those bag of wieners that he just really wants his uncle to like him. Yeah, for some reason. And so he makes this awful deal. He's never had a father figure. We're given a lot of reasons by the people are being interviewed that basically lets himself get screwed to buy his uncle's affection. Yeah. It's really, really sad. And so John decides that he's going to sell this land right under Bonnie's nose and he's going to, you know, walk away with all these profits because who knows what the selling price of the land is? Who knows? He's probably getting $750,000 for that land. So now we're at another meeting, family meeting, but this time it's like a Sunday dinner because they're all holding hands around the table. They're praying. Why is family hanging out together? They all hate each other. I really don't know. Stop spending time together. It's not just family. It's Bonnie's two other people in her life, which are the lawyer, Daryl Spinks, and the assistant, Karen Johnson. They're at the dinner, too, with they're all, again, in various turquoise accents in the room. Which I did not notice. I know. Sorry. So John drops this bombshell over dinner that he's selling off Carl's acres that now belong to him. So being a very good lawyer and now a good farm executive director, Daryl says, well, what portion of this selling price is going to go to Bonnie? And John says, none. And Daryl says, well, then why would she sign off on this deal then? Because John, even though he's the most smartest, really (laughs) isn't very smart because somehow he forgets that Bonnie is, of course, have fine. She has she's still alive. So, of course, she has final say on any land sale. Any portion of land. No, he totally made a deal to sell land that he is not allowed to sell. No, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh. And he screwed his nephew out in the process. Okay. So they don't own the land. No, Carl doesn't even own his land that he sold outright until Bonnie is dead. Yeah. So they can't go around selling off chunks of land. No. Without her approving it. They're putting the cart before the horse. It's really bad. So they rip up the deed of sale at the dinner table. Bonnie has this really good matriarch moment. The actress does. And John is like yelling his head off. And she says, you need to sit down, (laughs) sit. And it's pretty good. And it's a very like, that's the night. The lights went out (laughs) in Texas. It's very Dixie Carter. It was good. I am still your stepmother, even though... I have dementia and am no longer in my right mind, but this actress is, so. This actress is fine. As far as we know, she's 100%. She's still with it. Yeah, and she was, I liked this actress. She gets work, I know it. 
So Bonnie is done at this point, putting up with these greedy stepsons. And Daryl, the lawyer, informs Bruce that he's no longer the farm manager because that wasn't a real job to begin with. Yeah. We don't know what that job was, but you're not it anymore. You're fired. Your big boy job, done. Yeah. He says, like, he's to take young Carl with him and get, basically, is what they say. And I don't know if Carl worked for Bruce. I don't know. But Carl needs to go with his uncle. Yeah, I guess they don't work there anymore. And then the lawyer literally banishes the brothers and says, you're not even allowed to step foot on not only the orchard, the farm, but the home. None of it. Restraining order. Slaps restraining orders on both of them, but not on Carl, just on the two brothers, it seems. And one of the brothers takes a bowl of rolls, dinner rolls, and like throws it across the table really dramatically. That seems good. And then Karen her expressions are just shock. Right. She's like, why? I'm not even part of this family. Why am I here? She seems frightened and shocked. Karen, this might be, I don't know if this is the right job for you. No, I don't think so. This is a dangerous job that you've signed up for, Karen. But really, it's Carl, the one who's the worst off. And not only has he undermined his grandmother's trust by selling off his land to his uncle, which he wasn't allowed to do in the first place, he actually sold his birthright that's not going to be given back to him. Yeah. John's not going to give him back just because this can't go through. No. So the following Sunday, uh-oh, there's another 911 call that comes from the Harkey Farms. But this time it's 11, it's an 11-year-old boy who's called 911. And all we see before we go to commercial is a wedge on the floor. Oh no. And the body of a woman. And we know before knowing that it is the very tall assistant, Karen Johnson. Yeah. They show the wedge about seven times. Yeah, they do. So now I understood why she was wearing the wedges in the first scene. Well, really, she's a beautiful woman and she's splayed out in one of those dramatic where if you're an actor at all and you've ever thought about doing a death scene, you imagine how you would lay there very dramatically with like your legs all at right angles, but in a super feminine way. Do you know what I'm saying? Who am I? No, I've never done that. <laughs> no one's ever done that? I'm sure people have done it. Oh, that's okay. I'm sorry. Somebody, so I met from a friend that I heard that has done that. And she just does a good job. She looks, because they keep doing aerial shots of her laying on the floor. And her limbs are all askew. It looks good. But like in a very graceful way. I see. Yeah, exactly. I see. Like in a ballerina kind of way. Okay. Right. Yeah. I got it. I never have done that. No, that was someone else. Yeah. Yeah. That was Scrambles, who was playing Possum. Oh, you never played Possum? Okay. All right. That's it. (laughs) So Karen Johnson is lying beautifully in the front doorway, but she is dead. And it looks like she suffered some sort of brain aneurysm or a heart attack or something natural at first, because it's not, again, there's not like a gunshot, knife wounds, blood. It's not like that. But her shirt is like kind of pulled up in a strange way, I guess. And it turns out that she has been strangled. There's also a broken fingernail on her right hand, which becomes important because the detective rightly says that if a woman has her nails done and breaks one of them, she's not going to leave it jagged. She's going to cut it off. Yeah. That guy who's wearing the polo shirt that's like striped like he's going to a soccer match or something. That's our lead investigator, I think. I thought that was just the like a kid from next door. No, because that's our main dude. He said, because the other two investigators, the DA and the investigator look like 
Joe Kenda, like straight out of central casting. They are gumshoe detectives. And then you see this young guy in like a polo sports jersey type thing. I can't explain it right. But he seemed too young and too casual. But he's the one in charge. Good for him. But do you think he was bummed? when he saw what the other guys wore to their interviews, when he watched the episode, was he like, oh, I was going to wear a tie. I didn't. I think someone gave him some wrong advice. They told him to be casual and he went way too casual. I think when he said, what should I wear to this thing? And they said, oh, you know, a collared shirt. And he thought that meant a polo. Yeah. Instead of a button down. A button. It was literally a mix up of words. It could have been that. But I liked that he knew enough about the nail to know about that like jagged nail because I cannot tell you how many times I've done this multiple times. I've been so frustrated because I'm out and I've done that weird thing where I pulled like half a nail off and then I'm out the whole day, but I never remember to put clippers in my bag. So it's just like buggy and then you run, you get in the door and you go straight to the clippers. It's that kind of thing. So now I carry little clippers. I got these little tiny clippers and I carry them in my bags at all times. Because sometimes it's just about having the right tools at the right time, like having an amazing removable battery as part of your carry-on luggage. So if your phone dies in the airport, you have a backup when you need it the most. Right there. Because you always need it at the airport. It's all about being prepared because as Hank Hill says, if you're prepared, then when things happen, you're ready. There we go. Is that what he says? That's literally it. Yes, he does. Oh, it's like I always say. Like you always say. So I love my carry on luggage. That if you don't know about Away, let me tell you about it. Away is a modern lifestyle brand that creates thoughtful products for every traveler and for every kind of trip. They started with the perfect suitcase. They crafted features that make travel infinitely more seamless. And now when travel looks more different than it ever has, you can count on Away's range of suitcases, bags, and accessories whenever you take that next trip. I have been traveling for two months, (laughs) not two months, but I've been traveling for about feels like it five weeks now. And I cannot tell you how happy I am with my Away suitcase. I have this big lumbering giant suitcase that I also have with me. And I also have my little away. So I've been switching hotel to hotels based on whatever price line tells me the right price is. <laughs> and all I do is I repack my little away suitcase, my little white carbon perfect suitcase from my big suitcase. And I just wheel that everywhere because it's light as a feather. It's just it makes traveling and staying in hotels so much easier. It's just it's perfectly designed. It has those good wheels, too. Exactly. It's perfectly designed for whatever I'm going to meet. I've been in the rain. I've been in the desert heat. And it's <laughs> it's sorry. It sounds like I'm just. She's traipsing across the globe on an expedition. I'm not. She's doing a walkabout. With my away suitcase. But I literally am kind of going from climate to climate. I have gone across the United States. And so it's really just it's put this away suitcase to the test. And let me just say it's passed with flying colors. I have the white, you heard me, white. And yes, I can clean it with a regular wipes cleaner. It's amazing. I love it. But it's the aerospace grade German polycarbonate hard shell. I like to say that because it sounds very fancy. Fancy. Really, it's just a super ultra light, but incredibly sturdy hard shell suitcase. And I have the carry on and I also have the battery edition. So the battery is my favorite thing in the world because it 
it charges your phone like really fast and it charges it full. It's great. I can't. I love it so much. All of Away's suitcases, though, are designed to last a lifetime. They have durable exteriors that can withstand the roughest of baggage handlers at the airport, too. You know that's a deal. Every suitcase comes with the interior organization systems that have built-in compression pads to help you pack more in it and hidden and removable laundry bags. You can separate your dirty clothes, which I have also been using. I adore it. It's fantastic. And of course, 360 spinner wheels that guarantee the smoothest roll, even through the most hectic of airports or deserts. (laughs) Either one. Away products are also designed to last a lifetime. If any part of your suitcase breaks, Away's standout customer service team will arrange to have it fixed or replaced. That's amazing. Even more amazing than that, there's a 100-day trial on everything that Away makes. So take your product out on the road to test it, live with it, travel with it, get lost with it for 100 days. If you decide it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund during that 100 days. No ifs, ands, or asterisks. I love that. Can't beat it. Away also offers free shipping and returns on any order within the contiguous United States, UK, Europe, and Canada. So start your 100-day trial today and shop the entire Away lineup of travel essentials, including their best-selling suitcases. Check out the carry-on at awaytravel.com slash date dateline. That's awaytravel.com slash date dateline. Check me away. Get away. Get We're singing away. different Get songs. Away. Get away, Take get me away, away, get away. A secret place. Sorry, this is Kimberly's moment. I'll <laughs> let you have it. Go ahead. I did the ad. You can do the song. <laughs> Done. Thank you so much, Away. Check them out, guys. They're seriously, it's the best suitcase I've ever had. I love it. I love it so much. Thank you, Away. Okay, back to our tale. So. We are trying to figure out at this point what happened to Assistant Karen Johnson and where is Bonnie? Because this is Bonnie's house that Karen was found dead in. And Bonnie was also supposed to be in that house and she is nowhere to be found. And at this point, a rat runs across the wedge, the wedge shoe. Oh, I forgot. I, I forgot about that. Yeah. So the shoes are really important, like way more important. And I noticed them right away. You know why? I just got something. In golf, there's a club that's called a wedge. Brilliant. Also, mice like wedges of cheese. So do rats. Templeton. So do rats. Didn't Templeton like a thing? Yeah. Okay. A fair is a veritable smorgasbord. (laughs) There we go. Is this the last time we see Templeton? No. One more time. Okay. I think I missed the third time. I'm excited. Okay. We don't know where Bonnie is. All of a sudden, detectives get an urgent call. Not all of a sudden. It's a few hours later. It's a few hours after Karen's body was found. I don't know why I made it sound like it's a movie. Okay. Detectives get an urgent call a few hours later from the one county over. And another body has been found. It's been found in a shallow creek. It's been covered with leaves and twigs. And it looks like it was kind of tried to be hidden. Unfortunately, finally, this is the body of Bonnie Harkey. And she has been through the ringer. She was struck with some kind of object on the head, but ultimately her cause of death was drowning. She was face down in the creek after she was hit on the head. Also, there's nothing 
odd at any of well there was the rat at her crime scene she gets nothing oh no there is did i miss it yeah you did i was looking for a doll with a mustache it's easier to spot if you know what you're looking for and it's because they keep doing wide shots after they've told us that she's drowned and she's in a dry riverbed oh (laughs) well then there's your mystery Thank goodness Scrambles was also not there. We do not see Scrambles at this point. Right. No Scrambles, no insects, nothing. However, the next scene, we do a slow pan of the Harky home in which we, what do we see? A little white bunny rabbit, which I almost missed because there doesn't get a close up at all. It's a pan up and I think it just happened to be there. Does it mean anything? I don't think that rabbit even got a voucher for being an extra because I don't think that they even noticed it was in the shot till too, it was too late. So that bunny just lives at that house. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty cute. The police are back at the Harkey house and they start to ask neighbors for information and immediately hear the names of John and Bruce, that they're ne'er-do-wells and the police need to be looking at these brothers. They run a background check on Bruce and find out some very interesting information that while he was living in Reno, Nevada, he did some time in a federal prison for attempting to kill his wife. Which wife? Seven and a half. Was it seven? I don't know. No, I don't know. They don't tell us which one. He had nine. It's really hard to tell. They don't tell us which one or if any of the others are dead. And I think we deserve to know that information. He could be the widower. He could be the next Tom Randolph. This was a confusing story. He was going to put poison on her steering wheel and on her car seat, hoping that it would absorb through her skin because I guess she wore shorts a lot. So the seat. No, it's Reno. She's wearing shorts shorts a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hot. What? It's an interesting plan. I don't know if that's been done before. Does he know a lot about poisons? Because now this is very suspicious for Connie. He's really dumb, though. So I don't understand. Where did he even get the poison? And how would you know what kind of poison absorbs through the skin? Well, he's not smart because he got caught and went to prison. Yeah, that's true. So it's really not great. And when he gets out of prison, where does he go? Daddy's pecan farm. Great. So they're beginning to draw connections between this possible poisoning of his ex-wife and Connie's mysterious death, which I don't think Dateline draws that comparison, but. I don't think so. No. Yeah, I don't think so. They say like, oh, she just died suddenly. She died suddenly. But I don't think they make it sound like it was mysterious. But I think it was mysterious. And I think you and I thought it was mysterious. Did we? Let's go back and listen. I hope we were that smart. We did. We said what happened? What happened to Connie? Okay. Like was somehow her death. Someone involved with it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Foul play. Yeah. So the police are looking everywhere for Bruce. And all of a sudden, he showed, this is the all of a sudden, he shows up at the precinct mm-hmm. to come in and answer detectives' questions because he hears that he might be in, they might be looking for him. So Bruce has a really good alibi for the murder. So he was in Fort Worth, 150 miles away, playing golf with his brother, John. And lots and lots of people saw him and had beers with him. So he couldn't have done it. But what he does do is smack talks his stepmom, Bonnie, while he's in this interview. Which I got, you got to respect someone who's like, yeah, I'm not sorry they're dead, but I didn't do it. Full on. But I hated them with every fiber of my being, but I didn't do it. 
and calls her bad names. So he's a bad seed. But it finally comes out why he hates her so much. Apparently, at one point during one of these marriages, Bruce had a child. He had a son named Eric. And one night while Bonnie was babysitting the child, he choked on some food and died. I screamed because I don't remember this from the Dateline at all. He just seems to hate her for no reason. It's in the Dateline. Oh, it's totally in the Dateline. And I remembered it. (laughs) Also, I could be remembering, have false memory. So I would be surprised if you'd forgotten. You don't forget. I do forget a lot, actually. Not something like that. But maybe, maybe you just wiped it out of your mind because it's so sad. It's so sad. It's really, really sad. And Bruce never forgave her. He totally blamed her, even though you know she did everything possible. She took him to the ER. I mean, what a horrible accident. Yeah. You'd never get over it. No. So I don't know. He says, you want motive. There's your motive. To the Again, do you respect that, that he said that to the cops? <laughs> I mean. I don't know. It feels a little foolhardy. It's ballsy. I got to give it to him. I guess. If anyone had a motive to kill that dead B word, it's me. It's gutsy. I mean, I did not do it, but I'm telling you, you should be looking at me because I hated that lady. So he claims that he has nothing to do with it, even though he hated her and definitely wanted her dead. And he's not sorry she's dead. So now the detectives really, really need to talk to John, the older brother. So John is on the green, of course, practicing his backswing. The Texas Rangers come and find him, but he will not talk to anyone. He is, he's not going to say, and I don't know if he's, I thought he would have to, but I guess not. I know they're wearing those official looking hats. He's like the full Texas Ranger outfit. Full Texas Ranger with the really tight shirts, the tight white shirt, the big brimmed hat, and then the gun holstered. And that he just is like, nope, walking away. No, no, thank you. But not without having one hot take, which is everyone knows Carl is a loose cannon. He says that little nugget of information and mm-hmm. then walks out of there with his cleats. Also, one of the Texas Rangers all goes as far as having a toothpick in his mouth. Like, that's how dedicated they were to the whole Texas Ranger vibe. I would do that. Yeah. I would for sure ask if I could have a toothpick. That's good character work. That's good prop work there. It's really, it's very good. So he's pointing the finger at Carl and leaves the scene. But what he really needs to be pointing the finger at is Scrambles. Scrambles. Who has entered the scene again. Who is on the golf course and is totally going to get hit by a ball. And I was very concerned. He's right next to a golf ball, which shows you his size, which is small. He's so little. Which is little. It's itty bitty and it's real cute. And so also at this point in my recap, I started spelling golf as golf. (laughs) And I think I might've been writing in an accent. I'm not sure. (laughs) But I was writing it golf. So uh, there we go. That's a new thing that I made up. I got to go play golf. Yeah. So golf in Texas is golf. Yeah, apparently. So investigators are calling Carl's cell phone like crazy because not only was he pointed to by his uncle, who's man, he's a bad dude. He is also the last of the Harky men for them to talk to. They need to find Carl. He's the last of the Harkies to talk to. Everyone else is dead. Yeah, that is pretty much true. He's the piece of the puzzle they need to find. So three days have gone by and the cops are nervous that Carl might actually be another victim because people are, I mean, people in the family are dropping like flies. Mm -hmm. But Carl, just like his uncle Bruce, shows up at the police station 
after a few days. This is what happens when you have a town that is named, you are named after a town. You have the balls to just walk into the police station whenever you feel like talking to them. You can't get away with that unless you have the town name. But this isn't what happened. Because I remember the dateline and they tracked him down a little more. Yeah, they did. They were like talking to him on the phone and stuff, like telling him to come in. Oh, yeah. They were trying to convince him to drive in. Yeah. But that's not this part of this story. Blood relatives did not tell us that. They said he showed up with his girlfriend, Lillian, who I feel like I had thoughts about in the Patreon that I'm not going to mention here. No, we had thoughts. She's very light hair. She has very, very light hair. And fair skin. So Carl said that he'd been staying about four hours east of town in an RV park, which is very, very coincidentally close to the area that Bonnie Harkey's body was found in that shallow creek. Basically, it's the same town. That's where he'd been living. So in the reenactment in this part, in the police interview room, there is some sort of a kerfuffle. There is a spilling of a coffee. The cop looks very flustered. Yeah. Carl stands up because he's apparently afraid of a lukewarm beverage. It's a kerfuffle, right? But why does that, the cop, first of all, we see him stirring the milk into the coffee very dramatically. We did, which I didn't even write down because I was like, this can't be a symbol. And then it's a foreshadow. It's a foreshadow. And then all of a sudden they're having this nice conversation and the cop gets a sudden case of the Butterfingers or like when you get like, you know, a twitch through your whole body for no reason. You're like, what was that? Like, I get that when I'm falling asleep. What is that? And your whole body twitches and then the coffee cup just goes flying across the table. It's a kerfuffle. It's a full like pandemonium. It's like it's really I don't know what's happening. It's Keystone Cops. But. When Carl stands up, this is all a ruse to get him to stop holding his arm to reveal that underneath where he'd been holding his arm, like crossing his arms in the interview, there are three freshly bloody scratches. Wait, are you saying the cop spilled the coffee on purpose? This is the series of events is what I'm telling you. To get him to show his arm? Because he could just ask him, show me your arm. That's not how they do things on Blood Relatives, Kimberly. And I need you to appreciate the dramatics. I'm th- I'm impressed if that was a good play because I didn't even see that it was a play. So, well, what else would it have been? The spilling of the coffee. It's to get him to do this. The sudden jolt that happens to your arms out of nowhere. To to cover his jeans from the beverage, he's like reveals his forearm that has these three claw marks on them. Again, freshly bloodied. It's been several days. It's been three or four days. They're bloody like someone took red nail polish and drew three streaks. Puffy blood that's recently dried. Recently within an hour. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to let it go because it's blood relatives. No, I, I had the same thought. The injury very clearly looks like scratches. And so the detective asked him, is that from Karen Johnson? And basically, I started writing Kyle here. His name's Carl. Carl just breaks down. That's, that's it. Yeah. That This is it. He admits. He admits. I wasn't going to say it, but since you asked me directly and you're a gentleman, sir, I will tell you. Yes, I did it. Yes. Yes, officer. 
Yes, sir. He admits that he and girlfriend Lillian drove to Bonnie's while she was at church. Lillian waited in the car. He waited inside the house for Bonnie to come home. But when Bonnie comes home, she's not alone. She has assistant Karen Johnson and Karen Johnson's son, the one who called the police, are with her. So the original plan that he has for Bonnie is not going to work out. So he's like, for lack of a better term, scrambling, (laughs) not to be confused with scrambles, the adorable possum baby. He's trying to figure something else out. Meanwhile, Karen's son is being set up in the back room of the house with headphones. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah, it didn't seem like he was far enough away, but... Not in this episode, but in the original. Not in the reenactment. He, like, goes to the back of the house, immediately wants to play his video game. That's his reward for having to go to church, because sometimes you have to do that with kids. Uh Sometimes they don't want to go to church at that age. Sometimes at a lot of ages, they don't want to go, so you have to make bribes. So that was his... He got to go play. I still bribe myself to do things. You can get a Starbucks if you put on clothes and it usually works. You have beta brand pants now. You have no excuse. I don't know what your excuse is. That's true. Anyways, son is set up in the back room. Karen, when she's coming back from setting him up, spots Carl and Carl flips out, grabs her and starts to like set, like puts his hand over her mouth and nose and starts to suffocate her. I think I missed something. Why does Lillian come to the door? Let me go back. He texts her. So, sorry, when the plan starts to go wrong, he texts her and says, come to the front door. So then Karen sees him. Then the pandemonium ensues. He grabs her. He's killing her. As Lillian comes to the front door, Lillian runs up the stairs to, I, I don't know through, I don't know how she knows to do this, to like, Keep Bonnie occupied? I don't know what she's trying to... Maybe to keep Bonnie from calling the police. The plan is not well thought out because they are not smart people, which the show tells us outright. Possibly also on drugs. I'm pretty sure I suspected that in Queen of the County. It's later confirmed in this episode, and I'll tell you why. Yes. Anyways, he manages to kill Karen in the front entryway of the house, and Lillian brings Bonnie downstairs, and they go away in the car. They kidnap Bonnie from the house. Right. Now, in the day line, it makes a lot more sense because Bonnie is like has very severe dementia. Very severe. So she just goes with them. But this Bonnie that we've come to know is young and all has all of her faculties. So she is trying to resist a little. And seems would be able to overpower Lillian. Yes, definitely. For sure. So it doesn't make as much sense. Yeah, very little. She like looks like she does Zumba. This is your grandma that does Zumba and is super fit. So she could have run off. Yeah. But she goes with them. So she's driven. Bonnie is driven by Lillian and Carl 200 miles away. They go down to that small creek where her body was found. Carl hits her on the back of the head and she falls face down into the creek. It's very, very sad. And now we see Scrambles is there on the scene. I didn't want him to see that. Of the crime. It's not great. But at this point, it's also not great because I realize that Scrambles represents John. Because the time that we're seeing Scrambles is like when John's around. And this is like John's overseeing the crime through Scrambles. I get confused between Bruce and John. John's the older brother. Yeah. Because I think that John. Okay, so I'll save my theory. Anyways, it's a very sad moment. But Carl's confessed to the whole thing. Carl just tells everybody exactly the cops exactly what happened. 
they say, why did you do this? You loved your grandma. And Mr. Smarty Pants immediately says, well, Bruce told me to. Okay. Mm -hmm. So big surprise there. Here we go. Apparently, Uncle Bruce offered Carl a few grand to kill his grandma. Carl talks him down. <laughs> Let me be clear. I'm going to say that again. He offers him a couple of grand, like, you know, a couple thousand dollars to kill Bonnie. Carl says, no, no, no. I'm going to do it for 250 because I love you, Uncle Bruce. <laughs> He's so sad. Carl, Carl is, again, doing the decimal point thing where it's, <laughs> I'm going to give you $2,500 to kill grandma. And he goes, no, take away those that zero. <laughs> I don't need those extra zeros. They're zeros. That's no money. Zero, it means no money. So I take away those zeros. I don't understand. He's negotiating down. That's how he thinks it works. He's negotiating down for a much lower price and ends up only getting $100 and the rest will be paid after. I seriously think it has to do with the zeros. It's like he wants 10% (laughs) of whatever he's being... What's happening here? Okay. He's still owed all this money, too, from the brothers for the sale that never happened. It's like if someone was like, Katie, I'll give you $10,000 to kill someone. And you were like, you know what? Do you have any Trident gum? Because I'll do it for that. I am just have a hankering. Is Trident still around? I think so. The original gum? I'm going to be really embarrassed if it's not. I really want to look now. I'm curious. So... Not only does he do it for $250, he says, I'm going to do it for 100 down now and you can pay me the, the rest after. I just need 100 Like, because he has enough drugs right now? Like, how does he not need the money? I'm unsure. So, but also Lillian confirms all of this. This is all correct. So Lillian, you couldn't get him to take the, the 2500 Yeah, seriously. Wow. This is really bad. So- Bruce basically set up this really elaborate alibi of him going to Fort Worth. And I'd remembered this from the dateline that he had been going around town being like, yeah, Bonnie's real sick. So I'm going to go play golf in Fort Worth. (laughs) Oh, if you want to reach me, I'll be out of town for the whole weekend. Yeah, I might not be back in town until maybe Monday or something. And the guy would be like, sir, I just wanted you to pay for your gas. Oh, I just I'm going to be out of town. I better pay for my gas now since I'm going out of town. He like changed his voicemail. Hey, this is Bruce. I'm going to be out of town for the weekend. So if you're looking for me, I'm definitely not in town. I will be out of town with his golf clubs. Just be like, I'm, yeah, I'm, go- I'm going. Just like swinging <laughs> them in a parking lot of a Walmart. Hey, did you hear? I'm going to did Fort you- Worth. <laughs> yeah, so bad. Sir, who are you? Oh, sorry. Yeah, and Bonnie's kind of sick right now, so that's okay. Okay, number one, who is Bonnie? <laughs> number two, what is Galf? <laughs> number three. Why are you telling me this? I don't know you, sir. <laughs> Step back, please. <laughs> as far as what Bruce had told Carl to do with Karen, I guess he said kill them all. Yeah. Real classy. Yeah. So the police go and arrest Bruce in what appears to be some sort of underground meth lab. There are like chains on the walls. It looks like Master Bob's Sex Dungeon. Except where you cook meth. Yeah, where you cook meth. Because there's, I mean, there might as well have been like test tubes. It was weird. Are those the symbols, the jars from other episodes symbolic? Or is it just because he works in a scary dungeon? I don't know. Where is he? I don't know. I really wanted to. It looks like a slaughterhouse of humans. It didn't look like maybe he was making drugs. Also that. Okay. Both. 
it was weird. It was weirdly sterile and dirty. I was. I it didn't was sterile like and it. dirty at the same time because they were like, like rusty chains hanging. But then it's all white. Okay, we can't. Yeah, I don't want to think about it anymore. It was well lit, but at the same time, in a good lighting. Why does he have a bunker? Okay, yeah, I don't like it, and no part of it. I'm glad Scrambles was not there. Me, I was worried. I was like, please don't put that possum here. So not only do they have Carl's confession about what Bruce did, because Bruce is like, I didn't do it. They have an eight. They have ATM footage of him withdrawing that hundred dollar down hundred dollars from an ATM, which doesn't seem to be like great evidence, but they did. They make it seem really good evidence on the dateline, too. It's because it's right before he leaves for Fort Worth, I think. And then they have something else of him meeting with him. It like all lines up gotcha. to what Carl's story is. And that's why it's good evidence. So Bruce, Lillian, and Carl are all charged with double homicide. And it's at this point that we get our OMG moment of the episode, which it is every time in <laughs> Blood Relatives, which is when we see the actual mugshots oh my of God. The humans representing who are Bruce, Lillian, and Carl. <sighs> Lillian is the closest. Still yes. not that close and seems but to be age appropriate. But the age, age range is okay. Yeah. Carl is okay in age, but absolutely nothing. Well, yeah, I guess he's like bald. The Carl in this episode looks a little bit like Jim Halpert's fourth cousin. Okay. Bruce. Bruce, Bruce is 73 years old. Yeah, no. Completely different. The Both Bruce of the in brothers. this episode yeah. kind of looks like your guy from that Lifetime movie. 100%. He looked like a a strap, like a hot young dad. Yes. It was really confusing. So Carl, because of his testimony, gets life without parole, I guess, as opposed to the death penalty. Lillian gets 45 years. Yeah. And we're told, guess what? At this point, we're told she's She's not the the brightest person in the the drawer. (laughs) She's certainly not. No. What? There, you guys, we're not being mean. This no, is not us keep being saying snarky. It. They literally say it over and over about several of these people. The only yeah. one that's described as smart is John. But again, he's the one who cut himself while cleaning the bottom of his shoe. I don't know. I don't know. So I guess that Lillian gets 45 years because she could have put a stop to it and didn't. Yeah. Bruce is very cocky, as we know, and decides to take his chances at trial. Pleads not guilty. So he's mm. found guilty in about an hour, less than an hour. And he gets life without parole. So what And we happens? see him sitting in a cell that is clearly a set because it's like what, a barren room with like a cell. Maybe it's a small town and there's just, it's one of those like small town jails where it's, there's just one cell. <laughs> I just don't know why they're showing him from like well, such a distance where it's like a room and then there's a cell in the corner <laughs> in of the, the corner. Room. But it's when like, we get um, a close up, we Castle see- Rock. Templeton crawling across his arm. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay, and he's we do. like acknowledging Templeton is the rat is there as part of as his prison pet, as some sort of prison pet ex- exchange program, and he's like letting it crawl across his arm. What does that mean? In okay. his prison orange. I'm glad he has oh company. God. Are we? No, so I'm not. Glad mean, he has company. Meanwhile, we're wondering what is going to happen to John Harkey. We don't know. Because John is not involved, according to them, but is totally involved. Katie thinks he's involved. I do think he's involved. I think there's no way he's not. He's about to be picked up by Texas Rangers for some sort of grand jury inquest when he dies of a heart attack. 
And we're told by the guy in the polo shirt, the lead investigator, that this is what we call being cleared by God. And I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So whether or not he was involved is still a mystery. Connie's death is still a mystery. Yeah. Was a toxicology. We don't know. It's fine. Mm -hmm. So as we go out, we see no symbols, no turquoise, no animals, nothing. Just Brenda Strong tells us. Go ahead. Well, there is a bench and the sides of it are wagon wheels. I didn't know if that counts as a symbol. Absolutely not. Or You've is not it seen just a wagon decor. wheel in the rest of the episode? Yeah, no. It's just decor. Absolutely not. She tells us that in Texas, the Harkey murders stand as a haunting reminder that when greed and resentment take root, the harvest can be downright deadly. That's applicable kind of to it the is. episode. It Way is. Way to go, Brenda. Because we got bitter harvest earlier and then we got. And greed. Now it's a deadly harvest. I like it. Yeah. This episode also like could it. have been called Deadly Harvest. Deadly Harvest. Because where are the bones? No one was, there were no skeletons know. found. They're never even eating chicken bones. They're only eating pecan pie. Uh, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this very special Patreon crossover episode. Yeah. Now everyone knows the story, kind of. Except also, we don't I know. just realized that I think I've been saying pecan pie. Let's not get started. Let's not get started. I don't know why you're starting this at the very end of the episode. <laughs> I we just want uh, you guys to know that I heard it. I acknowledge that. Acknowledge Save your what? letters. Pecan? People got heated about it last time. It I said it from the beginning that I was choosing to do it that way for this episode the entire way through. So I not think most people agree with your way. But just so that not every time I was doing pecan, pecan. I was just right. like, let's just do Pick a side and go I'm with it. I'm just picking the side for this one. And you know what? Next time we do something involving. We might say it differently. Pecans. We're all about inclusivity. Exactly. Maybe we'll do it that way. But for mm -hmm. this one, we did it this way. Yeah, I didn't. But that's OK. I walked my own beat. You never said it. I said I re I said pecan, I think. I'm going to go back and listen to the episode. And I'm gonna, <laughs> I, I think really I said it curious. like a couple times. Did you? Okay, well, there we go. We covered all the bases. It's all the been bases. covered. We're done. No, because I think there's four different ways. It's okay. Pecan. Oh. That's the other one. Pecan. Pecan. So instead of saying pecan, you say pecan? Yeah. P-U. Nope, I'm done. I say P-U to that. Me too. And I'm holding my nose. Good night, everybody. Love you, Scrambles. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.